and you know assessing their pelvic floor and they would start crying and then i would start crying i'm like oh my god are you okay you know and they're crying and i'm crying and i'm totally freaked out and they were like no you are the first person to have located and found my pain and that was such a powerful moment for these women who had been told that they were crazy, had been dealing with this pain for years and nobody would believe them and nobody could find it because nobody was doing pelvic floor examination. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs where we get real about taboo issues in healthcare. We're on episode seven of season two. Who you just heard in the beginning is my amazing guest for today's show. Her name is Dr. Alexis Anderson. She's a doctor of physical therapy based out of San Francisco and has been specializing in pelvic health, treating bladder, bowel, and sexual issues for many years now. And she just has an incredible story that we're going to get into about her, her experience with a spectrum of pelvic floor problems that she herself experienced, her connectedness with serving the LGBTQIA plus community, and her involvement in helping others be, get more into their bodies sexually after healing from trauma and having pelvic pain. Not only does she have an incredible story, but I think it's a story that many of us can relate to. Alexis kind of flies under the radar, so I really wanted to bring her on the show because she does brilliant work and is just an incredible human being. I think the world needs to know who she is And she's starting to post more, so you should probably follow her. A little bit more about Alexis. She works for a major hospital system in San Francisco, California, and also owns her own private practice where she provides both in-person care and telehealth. And now that we've been forced into shelter in place from the global pandemic, Physical therapists are starting to transition into the telehealth space, but not a lot of people and consumers of healthcare know about it. And unlike many of us referring to other physical therapists, Alexis has been doing telehealth before the pandemic outbreak. She likes to call it, she's been practicing telehealth BC before Corona. Alexis is just amazing and I think you guys are gonna love her and love this episode so before we get into this episode I want to tell you how you can learn more about her especially if you're interested in working with her or just following her her website is www.alexisandersonpt.com that will be linked in the show notes you can also reach her on Instagram by following at body.b.good. I mean, guys, look her up. She's just, she's amazing. And if you are enjoying the podcast, you can really help us out by doing a few things. 
leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people see the show on their news feed. And or follow us on Instagram at Pelvic Docs Podcasts. This is where we're going to put clips of upcoming episodes and previous episodes. So those would be the best way to help me out and help the podcast grow. And most importantly, you guys, thank you everyone who has been listening. I hope this is adding value to your day and that you're learning something. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Let's dive into today's episode. Oh, good to see you too. Oh my goodness. Uh, I remember the first I'm like, do you remember the first time we met? We were like, let's get crazy. <laughs> I remember the first time we met, you walked into the pool, like literally, like you knew everyone. And I knew no one. Like, Who is this bitch? She literally knows everyone in this pool. What am I missing? <laughs> yeah. Well, what was funny is that I didn't know anyone there. I hadn't even met, you know, my roommate yet. And then I get there and I'm like, oh my God, then I meet you all. Like, I meet everybody and everybody was so cool. And I felt like I had known everybody forever. And I was like, all right, these are my friends. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Since it has been, how the, oh my gosh, how the hell has time gone so fast? It's going to be May before we even know it. I know. What the heck have you been up to since then? Because you haven't been posting that much until recently. Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, so I am still part-time at the, uh, major medical facility. So, which I love because it gives me exposure to everything, right. Sure. Um, to all different types of patients. Um, you know, and I get to work with the heads of urology and gastro, um, you know, the GI department, I get to work with OB and, and gynecology and, um, gender pathways um, so getting a lot of patients who are non-binary, who are transgender. Um, so oncology department, seeing patients who have different cancers, um, getting to see the really cool surgeries that they're doing with like bladder cancer and things like that, um, and colorectal stuff. So it's great. And I love being in that environment because I get to talk with all these MDs and surgeons. They're in, you know, in my building. Um, I was involved with a few studies um, with uh, UCSF as well. One of them was with UCSF, one of them was our own. Um, So that was fun and that was more in the orthopedic realm. So working with like thoracic kyphosis and knee osteoarthritis, Um, but with the thoracic kyphosis, we kind of threw in some pelvic floor stuff, which was like really cool for me. Oh yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, and then, so doing that, teaching classes there, you know, on urinary incontinence and um, having, um, uh, you know, medical doctors who are internists, um, follow me. And so that's really cool too. So they get to shadow me doing pelvic health. So it's a lot when I'm at the medical center, um, but it's so great and so fun. Um, so doing that and then on for my body be good. So then I'm, uh, you know, working to get body be good up and running and bigger. So, working on that, uh, seeing patients privately. So I see, every, every person, right? 
Um, if you're a human and you have a pelvis and you need some help, I can see you. Um, so I'm seeing people in person. I rent uh, a room in a really beautiful facility um, in downtown San Francisco. Um, and then I go to people's homes to treat them and I do telehealth. So, um, yeah, so I was doing telehealth, you know, BC before Corona. Yes, you were. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Alexis, you're just one of those badass people that just have this air about you that like before I even met you, I'm like, who is that? Who is she? She just has this presence that I just want to, I want Oh, I'm like, I whoa, <sighs> she's already doing telehealth. Who is this girl? Well, number one, you post a lot about pelvic pain and you not only post about female pelvic pain and male pelvic pain, but also you're very well spoken about transgender as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what, how did you get into one, falling in love with pelvic pain and then expanding to being so specialized in across the genders and then also telemedicine so wow. tell me your story tell me everything yeah this is that that's a great question that's a loaded question um okay wow yes okay crazy fantastic so do i i mean you know we're shelter in place so i'm not going anywhere i got so ready for you <laughs> you look gorgeous oh, thanks so good uh, okay so um Honestly, I fell into pelvic health. Uh, my first job right out of physical therapy school, I was working with athletes because I was a jock in high school. Um, so my first job, I was working with athletes um, and like elite athletes. We had a track around our facility. It was, it was a lot of private pay patients. It was great. Um, and I was a new grad and my first week at work actually, the boss's wife, she was our pelvic floor therapist. And um, she asked if I had any interest in doing it. And from my personal history, which I'll go into in a second, I said, yeah, sure, why not? And she said, we'll train you and you know, um, I'll be here to mentor you and you could just be the new me because she was pregnant and you know, she was saying, eventually she's gonna have to take leave. And I said, okay, cool, you know, I'm up for anything. I'm always interested to learn stuff. Um, and so I took my first course and, um, she left, was on her maternity leave and did not come back. So I did not have a mentor and I had an introductory course, um, uh, for Herman o. Wallace and it was just for urinary incontinence. And I remember having my, you know, pelvic floor picture on the back of the wall. So it was the back of the patient. So I could, you know, look at it and refer to it as I treated the patient and it was sink or swim and i swam so i just went in there and i was like okay let's do this right and so um it was it was uncomfortable as a new grad um, as a new therapist but um i've always done pelvic health and orthopedics and at that time i ended up seeing a lot of patients with pain and um i was seeing a lot of patients who had mess uh the mesh surgeries who had eroded into their tissues and were causing lots of pain, lots of incontinence, just lots of issues, right? So um, I was there, new grad, totally nervous, um, with my finger in someone's vagina and, you know, assessing their pelvic floor and they would start crying. And then I would start crying. I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? You know, and they're crying and I'm crying and I'm totally freaked out. And they were like, no, you are the first person 
to have located and found my pain. And that was such a powerful moment for these women who had been told that they were crazy, had been dealing with this pain for years, and nobody would believe them. And nobody could find it because nobody was doing pelvic floor examinations. So after hearing that, um, I just knew that I had to stay in the game. I had to, I had to be there. And so um, I became really good friends um, with this fantastic urologist, Wesley Kong. Um, shout out to Palo Alto. Um, he was my mentor. So I followed him um, around. You know, I saw his patients. And it was interesting. A lot of patients at that time were coming in with Lyme disease as well. So even though I was a new physical therapist in pelvic health, I was treating so much pain before I, you know, had a lot of classes that were about pain. And so I worked really closely with him, asked him a lot of questions and just kept learning. I just kept taking class after class after class. Um, and at that time, I really, really think that my patients were the ones who taught me the most. Um, I just oh, yeah. listened to them. Yeah. I mean, your patients will tell you everything you need to know. You just have to listen. Yes. Right. <laughs> so Absolutely. oftentimes, oftentimes these patients are not listened to. Um, and so just by listening to them, they feel so much better. And I would listen to them and I would know my anatomy and I would just check it out and try different things. And so, you know, that's how I got into it. Um, but I feel like, and now, you know, it's, and, and to, so that's one part of the question. Um, the other part of your question as to how I got into treating men and women and transgender and those on the gender spectrum. Well, I think that that would have to go way back to um, my childhood and growing up, honestly. So um, I think it started with you know, when I was 16, my mom got remarried and she was pregnant. And so she had, um, you know, the situation where my stepdad worked nights. And so she needed to go to Lamaze class, she needed help with that. And so I was there. And so I was my mom's Lamaze coach. I don't know if they teach Lamaze anymore, um, but I was her coach. And so when I was there, when she was, you know, in labor with my baby brother. And so that was a really big eye-opening experience and she ended up having to have a, a, a c-section and so just to see how major that surgery is and the aftercare um so that was that was kind of one part of it to see you know how women um heal after birth and the lack of education that they get um postpartum and the lack of help that they get i mean that's a major surgery having a baby is major um you know my stepdad wasn't there a lot at nighttime so i was there to help out. So I think that that really kind of shaped everything for me. Also during that time in high school and college, I had overactive bladder, which is if anybody has, you know, experienced that it's super embarrassing, right? You get these really strong urges that you have to urinate and then you leak into your pants. Um, and at that time I didn't really have good care. And so being in college, having urinary leakage and this urge and being super embarrassed, um, you know, the information I got at that time was don't drink alcohol, don't drink caffeine, and these symptoms will go away. Well, I'm in college and I'm drinking caffeine in the morning. I'm drinking alcohol at night, <laughs> right? Because I'm bartending and I'm waiting tables. So that didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> so I just became a master at, you know, 
drying my underwear like in a dryer, um, you know, taking my sweatshirt off, trying to, you know, tying around my waist, you know, all of these things that you go through, right? Wearing dark jeans, being at a party and being like, oh my God, I just leaked again. And you're so embarrassed. And you're in the bathroom, like trying to soak up anything that you can with toilet paper. Then you, maybe you meet somebody who you're interested in and you're like, oh man, I'm going to have these wet pants. Like all, everything that could happen to somebody with leakage, I have experienced. And it is seriously embarrassing and really hard to go through when you're really young. Um, so I've had that experience. And then also, um, you know, I've had pain with sex. And so in college, uh, dealing with that as well, and that ended up being endometriosis. So I um, had that surgically removed. So, uh, you know, that was a lot of my experience with, with, with pelvic pain was having that diagnosis of, in, of, of endometriosis. But actually looking back at that time, um, also realizing that, you know, my experience of being a survivor of sexual assault really played into my pain during sex as well. So I have, you know, had the experience of being a survivor of that sexual assault, having pain with intercourse and having urinary leakage, dealing with all of this, right, at an interesting time in college. Um, so I think that that time has really led to my experience and my appreciation um, when working with this population because I have experienced that myself. Every person has their own unique experience with whatever pelvic floor dysfunction that they're having, but because I have experienced it myself and I'm so intimately um, knowledgeable about it, I just feel this connection with this population. Um, and especially with the, um, you know, trans non-binary, um, you know, LGBT, um, community, um, you know, questioning, I always get the acronyms, uh, incorrect. Yeah, but, you're um, missing probably many letters. I, yes, yeah, yeah, quite, yeah, yeah, I am, I am. Oh my gosh, my colleagues are going to be so upset with me, <laughs> but I'm kind of on the spot with this podcast questionnaire. Um, you know, this. oh, thanks. You're in um, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But, um, you know, growing up, um, you know, my brother's, uh, my half brother's father is gay and he got diagnosed, um, with, um, AIDS at a really, when I was really young in the nineties and it was really unknown and we didn't really know, you know, much about it. And so I've always been, um, you know, introduced into, um, the gay community that way. And with my brother's dad and he was such a delight he was always so sweet to me and so my parents taught us about homosexuality at a really really young age and we also learned about hiv and aids so i think that that whole history of mine really shaped how i'm able to connect with my patients um you know because they are my people and so i wanted to be able to take what I have learned and experienced through my past and really translate that into others. Because my hope is that I want to empower other people who are dealing with these issues, who feel alone, who feel ashamed, who feel dirty, who feel any of those negative emotions. And I want to let them know that there is help out there and you do not have to suffer with this. And often the help that's out there is conservative and it's easy to get and it can be life-changing. And so whether you're embarrassed because you're wetting your pants or you've been sexually assaulted or you're a homosexual 
or you know you are trans and you want to have top and bottom surgery you can do that and there are people that are there to support you and to empower you to be who you want to be and to live the life that makes you happy dang um okay let's i want to ask you some questions about more of the transgender community accessing care yeah so what have you found in terms of timeline how long it takes for someone who identifies as transgender or on the spectrum to seek care and can you offer any advice like of resources how they can get help where do they go yeah great question great question it's hard for someone who is transgender or non-binary on the gender spectrum and i don't know because i'm, I'm not that person myself um so but having the patients that i have had and 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 currently have the and the feedback that i get from them is that it's often hard to get care because they are seeking care for a certain problem and they often find that sometimes those healthcare professionals have their own agenda and so they are giving them problems about you know not getting i don't know this checkup and that checkup and that vaccination and this and this and that and then so that further deters them from wanting to get care because they are there for a particular reason um they often uh are faced with the fact that a lot of healthcare providers aren't educated about um transgender and um you know non-binary health so it's difficult for them to get somebody who is used to treating um that population and who is knowledgeable about that population they don't use the correct language which is so easy to do and can be so damaging to someone in this population um so it is it really bothers me um that that we haven't gotten there yet i think that we are um but so it's really so that's difficult for them to get care because they're often already you know afraid and uh of the medical system and they haven't had positive experiences there um so I just think that, you know, one of the best things that you can do is just educate yourself about the language, um, about the terminology. Um, I always ask, you know, what do you like to be called? How, how would you like me to, um, you know, reference you, especially when we're talking about body parts, right? Because if they're transitioning, um, if they were born with female body parts and they're electing to get male body parts, they may not identify with that body part and they may not like to talk about it or to touch it. Um, and so I often will ask, how would you like me to refer to your body parts? Would you like me to show you a male model? Would you like me to show you a female, you know, anatomy model? Um, what, you know, what would you like? Um, and sometimes I don't use those terms, female and male. Sometimes I'll just use terms like, you know, a model with a vagina and a vulva or a model with a penis, right? Because yeah. that person who owns the penis may identify as female. So it actually kind of becomes easy once you start using this language because it's like anything goes. Um, and sexuality is fluid and it's just a big spectrum and it's so much fun and everything is just kind of um, welcomed. So. So Alexis, what you're saying is as a healthcare provider, it's okay to verbalize to a patient that you are learning and that you might need help with some of the language that is used. And then from a patient standpoint, 
you're saying, hey, it's okay to work with a healthcare provider that is newer to treating someone that identifies as transgender or who is transitioning. And it's okay to be upfront at first and say, this is how I prefer to be communicated with. I think people, both a healthcare provider and the patient, appreciate vulnerability. And if they don't, and you're a patient, you should probably go see a different provider. But I love what you said, like, and that is what you say. Yeah, I'm learning, I'm gonna make mistakes. If I say something wrong, please correct me. Because then now you've just created that honest, open communication and you've made yourself vulnerable because they're gonna be extremely vulnerable. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? Um, And so I make mistakes all the time, you know? I mean, especially because I work with men, women, you know, transgender. So I always call body parts different things. And I'm like, ah, you know, not your penis, but your anus. I mean, your labia. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like it's five o'clock. I'm all over the place, you know, but it's, it, you're, you're going to make mistakes. We all do. But as long as you have that vulnerability with that patient, I think you're going to be just fine. Talk about now the patient. Let's, let's say someone's listening and they are, they're having some sort of pain problem and they are transgender how do they find a provider and what kind of qualities would you suggest they look for say in day one if they're not comfortable being open like we just talked about that's a good question oftentimes i will introduce myself as hey you know i'm dr alexis anderson i'm your physical therapist my pronouns are she her hers So then that just kind of opens the door to where, you know, I'm introducing myself that way. If you're a person, if you're a patient and you're seeking help and you don't have a provider that's kind of introducing themselves that way, or is not aware of that, that's not like a, like a runaway sign, you know, but if you can find a provider that speaks in that way, um, that's a plus. Um, I would do research before you see a provider. And so if they have a website, if they have, you know, social media, take a look at it, see if they have anything that's about, um, you know, transgender or non-binary or anyone on the gender spectrum. Um, You can call that provider, their office and ask, um, do they have any case, you know, education in working with this population or your particular um, issue? You know, you can let them know kind of where you are um, in that process. Are you taking hormones? Are you not? Um, You know, that sort of thing. And so then that office will be able to tell you if they do see patients um, in that population and if they can help you with whatever issue it is that you're having. Um, A really good place to go is um, GFAM. Tracy Share, she developed a directory for patients to find providers. So if you go onto that directory, you can search into your area, you can search into search bar of issues that you're having problems with, and then you'll, you'll be brought to a list of providers um, that treat those things and that treat um, patients who are transgender or on the gender spectrum. So you'll be able to find someone there. So that will be on the show notes if you forget. Awesome resource if you're looking for a provider. So thank and you. I have so many more resources, but I totally prepared to talk about telehealth and not trans or non-binary. And so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't prep. I'm sorry. I'm so That's sorry. That's okay. Send me those resources and I can put them in the show notes. So let's now transition into telehealth. How'd you get into it and how's it going? 
Oh man, I love telehealth. It is so great. But tell us what is it? Ah, okay, so what is it? What is telehealth? So basically, it's kind of like FaceTime. If you've ever FaceTimed anyone or had a video conversation um, with anyone, it is that mode of, um, of a physical therapy session. So, um, you know, as long as you have an internet connection that's solid and you have something like a phone or a tablet or a computer that connects to the internet and it has a video capability, then we can have a video visit. Um, it's fantastic. I love it. I was doing, I mean, since I opened my practice a year and a half ago, I was doing telehealth right off the bat. I mean, it's just, it's just something that is so needed. Um, I just, you know, like I say, I like to have the joke that I was doing telehealth, you know, BC before Corona. And so it was really interesting because, you know, when Corona hit, I had a lot of providers contact me. So I had surgeons contact me, other, you know, MDs that were really scrambling because they couldn't find physical therapists that were doing telehealth. Um, and so, which was nice because I was like, yeah, that's just kind of, you know, how I roll. Um, but I really like it. Um, I wanted to do it when I opened up my practice because I had such um, an interest in it, number one, but two, so many of my patients were asking for it. So I've had a lot of patients who are in that sandwich generation where they're trying to take care of you know, themselves, their kids, and then they're trying to take care of their parents, right? Which is really hard. And so they were just like, God, I wish you could just like come to my house or you could just do a video visit. And I was like, I can do both, right? So that's when I just started offering both. And so I've always done telehealth in my practice. Um, it is so wonderful. It is so easy. Um, I have had moms um, who have heard about different, you know, pelvic floor physical therapists and mommy's groups. And I've had, a, you know, quite a few who have contacted me and said, the reason why I chose you is because you do telehealth. And I was like, awesome, yes. And because they say, you know, I have a toddler at home and I'm pregnant and it takes two hours to get ready to leave the house. Then I get there, I have to fight traffic, you know, pay for parking, try to find a parking spot, you know, I have to fight to get to the front desk, wait in the waiting room. And that's like a two and a half hour process. And they're getting ready for just like an hour or 45 minute visit. So that just doesn't make sense, right? It's like super stressful. They're trying to pump, breastfeed, do whatever. And I'm like, let's just, you know, X out all of that and let's just do a video visit. Um, you know, and I love it. It is so, it's so great. It's just so much more intimate. Um, I can create whatever experience that patient wants and needs. So, you know, they can, they have the ability to get a visit in the comfort of their own home or wherever they are. I get to see what they're having problems with. So if they're like, yeah, this bathtub, you know, bath time is really tough. I can, they, they can show me what the bathtub looks like. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's figure this out. Let's put a stool here. We can have, we can have you sit, you know, to, to bathe the kids. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. You know, I get to see their toilets if they're having, you know, bladder and bowel issues. I get to see all of the things that they're struggling with in their home. Um, so it's really, really nice. And I love it because whatever that patient needs, I'm able to provide it to them. I'm not restricted, um, you know, by insurance company. I'm not restricted by time, usually, unless I'm really booked that day. So a patient's like, oh, I'm just not getting this, you know, and I'm like, it's fine. We can hang out for another 15 minutes, you know? It's, it's so great. You know, I can really cater 
their experience to be whatever it is that they need. I have patients that like we play music while we do our visit, you know, we laugh, we joke around, um, you know, I get to see their kiddos. Um, it's just great. I get on, you know, my bed or my couch and I demonstrate things, you know, with them. I have my model. Um, I get to see how they move. I get to see how they lift. I mean, I can do so much through a video visit. It is just fantastic. They love the models. They love, and, I, it's, and if they're on their computer at home, I say, hey, can you look this up? And they're like, yeah. And so we can watch things together. It's just so much, inter it's, it's, it's super interactive. I really, really enjoy it. Um, and it, it feels more intimate in some ways than being in an actual clinic. Um, and I love talking patients through self-discovery. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Big oh one, gosh. right? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it was there. Yes. Oh my gosh, the three hole conversation happens all the time, right? Like, who knew I had a urethra, vagina, and an anus? Holy smokes! There's three holes. That's wow. the clitoris. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's really great, right? It's really great for that self discovery, and it really kind of brings the uh, responsibility of care and empowerment to the patient because now I'm not touching them. So they are going to have to, you know, try some of these things on their own. And sometimes that can be really challenging, right? They're kind of afraid. And so I'm there like the true definition of a therapist, right? I am there with them through this journey. And it is so great. Um, and for a lot of those patients who are survivors of assault, or of some sort of violence, I don't touch those patients anyway. So there are a lot of those patients that come into the clinic in person, and I don't put my hands on them at all. We just talk about what's gonna happen. I explain everything, and I'm kind of a narrator anyway. I'm like, I'm gonna do this, and then we're gonna touch this, and then, and I always explain why I'm gonna do it, and what I'm gonna do before I do it, and while I'm doing it, so that the patient is aware, and that I'm getting consent all along the way. So what's really nice is that if, it, if, if, if I am working with a client or a patient um, who has survived sexual assault, then it's hands off and they feel totally safe. They're in their own place and we go um, as far as they want, you know, as far as their comfort level is and we back off whenever they need that time to back off. When you do an exam on a man or a female and it's telehealth, does that entail putting someone's like, what, what? So I asked this question. I asked my friend to ask questions and they're like, do mm -hmm. I have to put my badge in front of the computer? No, you do not. Is it, <laughs> is it, is it helpful? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it just depends, right? Like I don't have, you know, people do that per se. Um, but I love to, to, um, tell the story that, you know, right when I opened up my, my, my private practice, I was super, um, nervous because I was like, well, what if I need to see something? Like, what if I want someone to, you know, show me something and they don't want to put their pelvis on the camera. And so I had my, you know, my client, um, male client, you know, cis male client, um, and, uh, you know, it was after a prostatectomy surgery. So, you know, he was, he was having some issues with a lot of things. 
Um, and I was giving him instruction on how to feel his pelvic floor move and everything. And so that was going well. And then I looked down because I was kind of writing notes, you know, and where I'm on my laptop, I look down and I look up and just like Winnie the Pooh, t-shirt and no pants on. And there was it right in front of my camera and I'm on my laptop and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, so then I stand up because I, you know, don't want my face near the screen. Um, and I just kind of didn't know what to do. But, you know, in all honesty, it's like he wanted to make sure that he was doing his contractions properly. And he had a question about something that was on his tissue that he was really afraid of, right? He's post-prostatectomy. This, this person had cancer. That's huge. You know, he almost died. So things that he sees on his skin, he wants to know, like, should I get this checked out by somebody, right? And this particular patient lived in an area where he could not get access to pelvic health at all. He was in a very small, small, small town in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I was kind of like the only person that he had seen for this issue. He had, he'd never seen a pelvic floor PT, didn't even know what it was, just knew that he had all these issues and, and, he, and he needed help with. So, you know, you don't have to put your genitals on the screen. That is not something that you have to do. Um, you know, a lot of times I just talk people through it. Um, but in the rare occasion that people do want me to see something, yeah, I mean, this is, this is what I do. I mean, I see vaginas and penises and rectums all day. Transition a little bit. Top three pain problems around sex that you hear from your patients. Ooh, top three. So, um, definitely pain with penetration. So. Superficial or deep? Well, both, right? Okay. Yeah. And why yeah. does it happen and what do you, how do you help those people? Oh man, that's that's complex. That could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> true, true. I mean, you know the answers to these. That's a that's a <laughs> max two minutes. Ready, set, go. Oh man. Okay. So vulvodynia, you know, majorly superficial. Um, and deep could be anything pelvic floor musculature, but I mean, superficial can be pelvic floor musculature as well. Um, but deep can be, you know, pelvic floor muscles or endometriosis or, you know, a hip dysfunction or a spine dysfunction or SI joint issue. Um, I mean, the possibilities of why people have pain superficially or deep are pretty much yes. endless. Um, bad experience. Maybe there's no muscular or nervous system component at all, but it's just that they had a really negative experience um during a sexual encounter and now they bring that in to every encounter they have after that right so really have to break these things down yeah absolutely our tissues hold memories right so when a traumatic event occurs and you are faced with a similar experience in the future our brain says oh wait I recognize this situation and responds as a protection strategy. So Is even it, though a situation may not be harmful or dangerous, your body may respond in a way that presents physically like there's danger and guards. Okay, second reason, go. Definitely. Um, and pain, um, you know, with orgasm, pain with ejaculation or pain, um, you know, with arousal. Why does that happen? 
Two oh. minutes, Jocelyn. <laughs> Jocelyn, you know these things are so hard to answer in two minutes because the reason why someone has pain is so complex. I mean, we know what we know that pain is complex, right? You don't have to have an actual injury to feel pain. Right. So I'm just trying to tell the listeners that <laughs> they send me messages and they're like, help me. And I'm like, this I need to know a lot more than just what you're telling me to even give you any any advice. All right, all right. Let's try one more. One reason someone would have issues around arousal or orgasm postpartum, early postpartum. One reason? Oh my gosh. One reason, postpartum. Ready, set, go. Well, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much. I'm like, oh my God, where do I start? How do I even um, you know, dryness. I mean, it could oh, be yeah. pelvic floor muscular dysfunction. I mean, they could have a nerve injury, you know, postpartum. Um, I mean, it can, so it basically can what we're saying is you cannot just Google this shit. You've got no. to go see someone for it. Stop living in pain. And there's no easy answer. No, there's not. It, it's super complex. Um, and, you know, and you really have to sit down and have that conversation with someone. They have to really hear your history. They have to hear what it is that you're having problems with. And I, and, you know, as pelvic floor therapists, we ask very specific questions yeah. and we ask you questions that probably no one else has asked. Nope. And that's because we're trying to differentially diagnose what could be going on, right. That's gonna, that's gonna help our assessment. Um, so it's, yeah, there's no, to answer that question is in two minutes or a minute is, it's, I, I can't do it. It's a whole podcast. So yeah. I'll just have to bring Alexis back on, which I totally would. One of the questions that I got from someone that follows me on Instagram is that she's experiencing pain with sex, 10 months postpartum, and she has mild bl bladder prolapse after VBAC grade one. And is that normal? Having pain with sex, 10 months postpartum, VBAC. So, um, I'm not a big fan of the word normal, right? But, um, you know, pain with sex, only if you want to have pain with sex, right? So I live and work in San Francisco. And so I do treat the BDSM community as well, right? So some people like to have pain with sex, but in this case, I'm sure she doesn't want to have pain with sex, right? It's probably interfering with her ability to connect with her partner, um, to connect with herself, um, and to, you know, enjoy that pleasure. So in that realm, yeah, let's get it checked out and get it treated, especially if it's a bother for you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think that you should not be having, um, pain with sex, you know, postpartum, unless you want to have pain with sex, but if you are, then see a pelvic floor physical therapist, you know, you have to get that, that examined, you know, we have to ask you questions. We have to ask, you know, when you're having it, what position that you're in when you're having it. Um, to really be able to figure it out. Great. But it's definitely treatable. It's definitely yeah, treatable. Definitely. Yes. 10 months postpartum, no. I mean, if you were six weeks, I'd be more like, okay, six weeks. But even six weeks, you should be seeking professional advice uh, other than online, you know, just online forums, boards, stuff like this. Right. So you said BDSM. That leads mm -hmm. me to one of my favorite questions are, 
What are your favorite sex toys to recommend? Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's a really good question. I think it depends on what the person wants, right? Do you have your go-tos that you recommend? You know, I don't. Um, I feel like I should. Dang. No, I, <laughs> I really don't because I feel like I just treat so many different types of people that every person is, wants something different. I mean, you know, there are people that don't have penetrative sex at all. That's just not a part of what they do. And so they're all about, you know, nipple stimulation and kink and, you know, just different ways of um, getting off. And so it's, yeah, that's, that's really tough. People ask me, they're like, Hey, I'm looking for this. You know, I, I, I want this type of sensation or, you know, I, I'm having a dysfunction with this. And so I can't feel this. And then we're like, okay, great. So what is it that you want to do? What toys is it that you typically like to use? You know, what do you and your partner like to do? Or what do you like to do by yourself that you can't do? And then let's work towards those goals. This is one of the areas that I want to be really well-spoken about. So I am going through a personal journey of experimenting. Back on. I'm like, did you just have an earthquake? That's, that's typical here, but not where you are. So personal journey of learning all the different types of sex toys so I can be better well-spoken about them. And one of which, literal wind suction type, which I personally love. They're my favorite. More so you like the womanizer. So you like something like the, like the womanizer. Yes. Prior to being exposed to the suction devices for the clitoris, I had only had experience with vibration. And so it's been an interesting journey because the degree of orgasms vary depending on what you use. If you're listening, you may be asking yourself, well, do I need to go to physical therapy or do I need to just get a sex toy? And from my personal experience, I didn't realize the potential for me to orgasm and how that can evolve until I went through being a patient and seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist. So I think that it's really helpful to see a professional that can tell you your baseline and identify the restrictions or whatever deficits there are for you to work on, and then have the conversation about tools that can aid you to your goal. So I've been going to PT since December. Um, I am no longer going regularly, but I was just having so much pelvic heaviness. And I was, when I was in CrossFit, I was literally just thinking, is, am I setting myself up for needing surgery later? And here I am as a PT. So I was obsessing about that every time I deadlifted or did any heavy lifting. So and I, what were you afraid of? What were you afraid that you were going to do? Well, I was always heavy after. So I was just afraid of that I was worsening my... So I have a little bit of a prolapse, a cystocele. Mm -hmm. Never had kids, obviously, but mm -hmm. I don't have any space in my abdominal cavity. So there's nowhere for the tissue to go except down. And my abdominal wall is relatively stiff. So I go see a, a pelvic floor therapist who's trained in myofascial release, purposely went to her because of the myofascial component. And um, what I've realized along that journey, like all of my to-do at home was 
myself, my fast release techniques, internal stretching, and then just mindfulness. And I was literally physically blocking my own orgasms. What I've found that I was contracting my abdominals so tight. So when your abdominals are tightening, your pelvic floor is going to tighten. There's no way for my orgasm, no way for my muscles to go anywhere. It was already too short. Yeah, there's there's no blood flow coming in. Yes. You, you you blocked the path of. Blocked it. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I have learned how to relax. And not relax, but all the work that I've done by going to another pelvic PT and then also doing my own stuff at home, le- less contraction through the abdominal wall. I mean, my orgasms are so strong now. Yay! It is insane. Like, like convulsing. So that is great. I posted today on my Instagram. Uh, what is, what do you, do you have any idea what you're doing with your abdominals when you are reaching orgasm? Because I listened to another podcast and people are like clenching, they're, they're tightening their pelvic floor, they're doing everything they can. And I think that's appropriate for people that are generally underactive, mm-hmm. but like someone like me clenching and all of those things will, is not effective. So the journey of the sex toys. <laughs> has been really helpful because I feel that I can, I'm better spoken to people that ask me questions about it. Yes. So that's something that um, I want to bring more people on about because I think that one of my, uh, one of people have issues having orgasms, partnered orgasms, me being one, well, you can't expect a partner to to help you reach orgasm if you don't know how to reach orgasm yourself. So that's part of that self-discovery journey. And it's been really fun. And it's really fun to walk my patients through those that journey. Oh, yes. Amen. Preach. Preach, Sasha. Preach. I, I mean, I just love it because it's so true. I mean, if you're partnered and you have not been able to have an orgasm, I, you know, I love UC Logic. She is just one of my female crushes, one of my, you know, um, how should I say, colleague, you know, professional crutches. She is amazing. Um, and I just love to hear her speak. And one of the things that she really speaks to is that, you know, every person is responsible for their own pleasure. So you cannot expect someone else to give you pleasure if you don't know what that's like right? So it's really up to you to figure out what makes you tick because then you can communicate that to your partner because they don't have a crystal ball. They can't read your, your mind, right? Um, and the biggest sex organ that you have is between your ears. So, you know, um, there, there's, there's lots of things that affect orgasm. I mean, I mean, that's a whole other podcast in itself, right? Obviously the pelvic floor being one of them, but your mental state is really huge. Um, and so when you're talking about your experience with that and kind of, you know, the things that you're struggling with, I was, I was interested to see like, what were your thoughts about it? Oftentimes, you know, a lot of the blocks that we have, um, are things that are in our mind. Oh, totally. There definitely can be physiological parts and, um, you know, anatomical issues and musculoskeletal issues. And that's really what we do as physical therapists, but we cannot ignore the mental emotional, psychological components, because that is huge. What I experienced in myself and what I see in 
other women more so than men is I felt like I didn't deserve one. Exactly. And so that getting over that hurdle, if you're listening to this, your pleasure matters. And I do want to say though, putting the pressure of orgasm as the end goal is not going to help your situation. So also taking that away because any sort of partner play or not partner play can be pleasurable. And there doesn't have to be an end goal. Like just as if you're in the gym and you're not in a competition, there's no winning, there's no losing. You're just, your intention is to train some aspect of a movement pattern or whatever. That could be what you're doing in intimacy, whether it's partnered into, with a partner or not. It's bringing awareness. It's a form of physical meditation, as I like to, t- like to call it. If you're focusing on the end goal, then you're not enjoying what's happening at that moment. So I often have this, I have, you know, different exercises that I have patients go through either by themselves or with a partner, and it really allows them to be in that moment. What are the involved? Yeah. So there's, you know, sensate focus is something that I use a lot. You know, pleasure and pain mapping is something that I use a lot. Um, I really like to use the stoplight method. So if you're with a partner, you know, instead of saying no, or oh, I'm really into that, you know, when you're with someone in an intimate um, capacity, you can say green light. That's good. Yes. Keep going. I like that. You can say yellow light, like, yeah, that's not really here or there. Right. You could say red light, like, oh, that, that's not good. Did you learn <laughs> that from the BDSM? I actually learned that from a sex therapist, uh, one of my friends um, who I work with with patients. And so she is fantastic. And we see a lot of patients together. um, And that was something that I had learned from her. And I actually took one of her courses. And so it's, you know, things like that, it makes it a lot easier to communicate. Um, But also, I really like being in the moment, right? So like you said, if you're really, like, like if your end goal is to have this explosive orgasm, then you're not, then you're not thinking about what's going on at that moment. You're not being present. So you're thinking about the future. Likewise, if you're with yourself or you're with a partner and you're thinking about what has happened, like, oh, that didn't go well, or, oh, you know, I had premature ejaculation, or, oh, man, I had pain, or I have, I have, I have a difficult orgasm, and, like, I can't ever stimulate myself. Then you're thinking about the past. So really see if you can bring all of your senses into that moment. Smell, you know, visual, um, sensation, you know, sound, like you are really just in that moment fully and completely and exploring with yourself to see what feels good and just do that. And what feels good, you're going to do more of, and then you're going to figure it out. We're going to have to have another separate conversation about this. (laughs) So I'm actually going to New York. Well, I'm supposed to go to New York for a week in August. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to something on the what it takes, not that I'm interested in this, but I'm just fascinated about all things that around sex and learning, but what it takes to be, what are they called? The madam in a BDSM relationship or? Oh, okay. I can't think of the name, but 
basically a dom or something. And I was listening to when you get to that point, it's all about the sensations and how in tune they are with smell, like dilations of the pupils across a whole, that whole um, sense, sensation arena. And I thought that was really fascinating. And regardless if it's something that I'm personally interested in or not, it's really helpful to speak on that from a pain with intercourse standpoint, because pain and pleasure come from the same area yes. in the brain. Yes, exactly. So if you're having pain, we can get you to pleasure, but we need to reroute how you're being present in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love everything that you just said. And what's great about the BDSM community is that it is so important to have clear communication. Yes. So, um, you know, not only a safe word, right, but the safe word that's that's really important. But um, I had a patient who she, um, pelvic pain, um, was not able to have um, penetration. She wanted to have uh, penile to vaginal penetration, um, but was not able to. And um, she was struggling to get information about how to talk about her situation to her partners because she's dating, right? So um, she went to a BDSM community um, event and it was free. You know, there's lots of those in San Francisco, thankfully. And she was able to learn um, how to communicate about her current situation to her partner, how to set up boundaries for um, their date. And it really empowered her to date and get back on the scene. So I saw her after she went to this um, BDSM um, event because she hadn't had any services. And so I saw her and, you know, she was like, yeah, you know, I matched this guy. We were on, you know, Tinder or Bumble or, you know, whatever it is. And she's like, I was really afraid to have a date with him because of my pelvic pain. But after she went to this BDSM community event, she was able to let him know that she had boundaries and she, it didn't, she shouldn't have to come out right away and say, Hey, I have pelvic pain, but she was just like, Hey, for our first date, we're going to leave our pants on. You're going to leave your pants on. I'm going to leave my pants on, but I like X, Y, Z. So then she got to talk about what she liked, right? But all the different sensations that she liked, why well, I really like it if you caress my breast, or I really like it if you do this, right? Or, um, you know, so they were able to talk about things that she liked. He was able to talk about things that he liked. They were able to discuss what was, going to, what was going to happen and what was not going to happen. So for example, he wanted her to call him daddy. And she was like, that's literally what I call my dad. So like, that's not gonna happen. So, but through that communication, now she was really excited to go on this date because she had set up these boundaries. He knew what the boundaries were. She knew what the boundaries were and they knew what was game. And so now they're excited to explore all the things that they liked. They knew what each other liked. And so that just made the date that more exciting and she felt safe. That's so awesome. I, when, when talking about pelvic pain, I have to bring in these types of conversations because at the end of the day, it's not the pelvic pain. It's how it affects your confidence of leaving your home, dating. For me, I didn't date for years because I did not want to have to explain myself. Right. And that's so, it, 
that's where good clinicians and average clinicians are separated. Your ability to bring out, like as a patient, being comfortable speaking, coming forth and being able to talk about this in the initial sessions. Maybe not the first one, but the few, like, hey, I'm having this pelvic pain, but it's not really about the pelvic pain. It's actually, I'm really into this, but I don't even want to put myself out there because I don't want to explain myself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And, and, and that's why it's great to find good clinicians, right? And they're, they're hard to find, but once you find one that you really like, you know, stick with them and ask them for the resources. And, you know, there's so many things that I don't know. There's yeah. so many things I don't know. And so I ask my mentors, I ask my colleagues, you know, I really reach out for information. Um, and that's, I think that's what you have to do, right? If, if, if you want to be there for your patient fully so that they get the help that they need. I could talk to you literally like, I know, oh. I know. I'm like, we got to shut this thing down. It's like two but, hours later. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It has been absolutely wonderful getting to speak with you this long. Thank you so much for your time. What is the best way to reach you or follow you? Yes. So the best way to follow me is through Instagram. So my Instagram is body.be.good. So it's basically body be good with periods in between um, each of the words. Uh, my website is www.alexisandersondpt.com. So that's with an O-N, not an E-N. We talked about, you know, pleasure and we talked about the blocks that people have for pleasure. Um, I'm actually um, collaborating with a friend of mine and she has created Pleasure Plus. And it's going to be a program where we teach women how to remove those blocks, remove those thoughts, and how to get pleasure. So that's happening in May to follow that. That, that is also on Instagram. It is the pleasure plus all one word, the pleasure plus that's on Instagram. Um, you can follow the website, thepleasureplus.com. That will give you tons of information about um, the mission of the uh, workshop. It's basically women empowering women so that we can learn about our bodies. We can learn about ourselves. We can take down all of the things that are blocking our ability to feel pleasure, um, to feel good. And it's just, I, I, I love the mission. And I'm going to be one of the um, experts that is going to be talking about pelvic floor muscles um, and talking about the pelvic floor and how it integrates into pleasure. And so that's a project that um, I've been asked to help out with. And so if you decide to sign up for the project and want to put yourself on the waiting list, just put my name, Alexis Anderson. Um, you can put this podcast as how you heard about it um, so that they know where you're getting the information from. Um, and so I get credit, um, for, uh, you know, for, um, getting people into the program. So it's a wonderful, wonderful program. I'm so excited to be part of it. And I'm just hoping that we change, um, this thought process that women, you know, are dirty, um, that they are not, you know, that they're not worthy of having pleasure. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. So that sounds like it's going to be an awesome program. You guys should definitely check it out. Well, time to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Alexis. Until next time, can't wait to have you back on. 
We'll see you on the next episode of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs.